Welcome to Between the Banners, a UNC basketball show on the new Tar Heel Blog podcast hosted on the SB Nation Podcast Network. If you're wondering, yes, that's new. The weekly Tar Heel is no more as we now have a better workflow, much improved audio, and software that doesn't have the propensity to fail us, well, quite as often. If you missed the pilot episode of Don't Punt the Geo, the football podcast, definitely check it out. Jake Lawrence and I broke down the 2019 signing day exploits of Mac Brown and staff and the current number 13 ranked recruiting class for the next cycle. Unfortunately, we come to you for the first time on Between the Banners after Carolina's 69-61 loss to Virginia. More unfortunate, though, is the fact that we did have some technology mishaps on our actual first episode after the state game, and it got lost somewhere in the cloud. So... Joining me for the second time on the first episode of Between the Banners is one of my bosses, Brandon Anderson at THB Brandon on Twitter. Brandon, tough loss tonight, but how are you otherwise? Other than that, I I'm I'm all right, man. I'm all right. Some a tough loss, a very unfortunate loss, but you know, bigger picture, nine and two doesn't look that bad once you know some of the frustration wears off not saying i'm there yet but hey maybe i'll be there tomorrow yeah and we are recording it's a 9 17 p.m right now so the game just ended about 20 minutes ago um i guess we'll hit on the positives first man that uh first 12 to 14 minutes of the second half well was just absolutely insane the defense stepped up uh garrison brooks made a ton of big plays i know we were talking about some of the slack channel but what did you see was the difference? Because that was UNC optimized to me as far as playing against this pesky Virginia team. I think one thing that happened that has been happening a lot this year that I think has been a big game changer for whenever UNC gets into a jam is they, I mean, overall they locked down on defense, but I think the big play that, you know, was implemented as they started trapping Virginia and forcing them to make a lot of the silly turnovers that they were making against Duke. And once that started happening, things started to look a lot like that Virginia-Duke game to where, like, UNC was getting out in transition. They were getting a few easier buckets than they were in the half court, um, which we would expect by now. But... um that was definitely huge and kind of getting everything turned around and, you know, Kobe did Kobe things. Garrison Brooks got in there. Um, I want to say Luke May even did some things. I'm just kind of looking back at some of this stuff now. Yeah. Um, May, May had that little short corner fade away, uh, when things were going right. Yeah. I remember that now. Yeah, well, it was it was one of his two baskets for the night, so it was quite memorable. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think, but I think you're right. I mean, they really, you know, usually a UNC team that gets aggressive on the defensive end will have a lapse and they'll leave somebody open under the basket when they uh, extend the defense for 47 feet out to half court. But this team, and I saw a lot of it in the Miami game too during the comeback. They are really, really coherent with making their reads uh, on the trap to where if they get somebody stuck at half court and pick up their dribble, um, the guys, the second line of defense is ready to pounce on any kind of errant pass. So that has been really well coached. And 
is definitely something to be optimistic about. But fact is, uh, UNC didn't sustain that, and a lot of that was due to injuries. When you lose um, both your, you know, over the course of the season, probably your best player, and then your highest potential impact player in um, Cam Johnson and Nas Little, both to sprained ankles with Leaky Black already on the sideline for the same injury and Sterling Manley on the sideline for with uh, a knee injury. Um, UNC does not quite have the depth to withstand four injuries to rotation players, and you saw them wear down a little bit late. So other than cursing the uh, gods of the sprained ankles, what was, you know, what, what was the biggest loss in having sprained ankles? I mean, I think it's just that. I think, <laughs> you know, that that's the biggest loss in a sprained ankle is the fact that we now have to deal with sprained ankles. Um, Tanya Bondrant, our um, managing editor, uh, she let us know that Nas definitely said that it was a sprain. And the problem with that is, I mean, we're, we're back to what we're dealing with with Leaky. So this could be something that he could feel better within a few days. It could be a few weeks. What I do know is we have Duke real soon, mm-hmm. really, really soon. So that's a big problem. Um, seeing Cam Johnson get back out there was good. I don't know what his status is, but I would be very curious as to find out whether or not he has some type of minor sprain or not. He could just be playing through it. Um, but yeah, it just, the cam one really hurt. It, it hurt quite a bit because I feel like it was the worst timed injury that I've probably seen since Theo got injured last year against Clemson. Yeah, that, that was going to be my point is it was right at the inflection point in the game where Virginia was staging a little bit of a comeback and to then lose you know, your, your deep threat like that and allow Virginia to collapse the defense a little bit more because Brandon Robinson, who, you know, he, he had a hit or miss game tonight, but he's not Cam Johnson on the court. You know, he, he's not instant offense like Cam Johnson is and not quite as strong on the defensive end either. But that was the key to the game. Uh, lo- losing Nas early hurt, I think, from a depth perspective because UNC really only played six guys. I'm not sure if Seventh Woods ever saw the court in the second half. And with Playtech getting a few minutes, um, yeah, I mean, Nas and Brandon Robinson were the only guys that came off the bench uh, with the intent of playing significant minutes. And Brandon really more so that more so after uh, Nas went out. So Carolina basically played a six-man team tonight, and that is not your typical UNC Roy Williams team. No, and you know, like, I don't think that there's a team in the country that can battle against that many injuries. Um, I mean, hopefully the number of injuries that actually took place was, you know, exclusive to tonight. You know, hopefully Cam will be able to play Saturday. Hopefully Nas won't be out for too long. Manley's dressed now. We don't know quite what that means yet. And, we don't really know what the status is with Leaky, but um yeah, it's just hard. And to your point about minutes, it looks like 
Kobe played for 37. Kenny played for 38. Luke played for 36. The only one off of the bench that got to play uh play minutes and double figures was Brandon Robinson. It's it that that's just not good. I mean, and coming was, off and coming off an overtime game on Saturday too makes it uh, all the tougher. Oh yeah, so for just sure. so just just really kind of a perfect storm, and that's you know that that's definitely part of what allowed Virginia to pull away late. Uh, the other part of that. Being, um, is it DeAndre Hunter? Uh, I'm going to look that up to confirm. Yeah, DeAndre Hunter kind of taking advantage of when Cam went out. Um, it kind of became the him on Brandon Robinson show, which opened up for my least favorite player in the ACC, Kyle Guy, to hit a couple of big threes and put the game away. Yeah, and I mean, credit to Virginia and actually credit to Miami too, because, you know, I've noticed the last couple games, teams have been really good at singling out exactly who they want to pick on Mm -hmm. um during the miami game chris likes was picking on nas quite a bit because what was happening was unc was switching off the screens and they did it tonight too but that time in particular it seemed like he was getting nas on just an unreal amount of the screen action and was just taking it to him. Um, Hunter definitely went at B-Rob quite a bit. And, you know, B-Rob's not built to bang with people down there in the paint. He's just not. I mean, he's probably no bigger than I am. And (laughs) for context, anybody listening, I'm I'm not a big guy. I'm really not. He's not. I can confirm this. (laughs) So, you know, um, yeah, they just, they took advantage of matchups very well. They made things very frustrating for Carolina and to that they deserve credit. They are very, very, very pesky. And you made a good point about the switching on screens and that's something I kind of want to dive into a little bit. Because I wonder what Roy is setting up with that. Because tonight you had when Ty Jerome or when, um, gracious, now I can't think of his name, although I, st- although I still hate him just as much. Um, oh, or when, uh, Guy, Kyle Guy, uh, even with them at the top of the key, they were setting the high screen and Garrison Brooks got switched on to one of the guards five or six times that I saw in the second half. So it makes you wonder, you know, exactly what Roy's got up his sleeve or if, you know, they're, they're just trying, I mean, I wonder if they're just trying to show Duke something to where, you know, Duke thinks they're going to be able to ISO, ISO Zion Williamson on like Kobe White or something and, uh, kind of pull the rug out from under him or something. But it's been interesting to watch that development because I, I feel like for years, Roy has been very adamant about trying not to switch screens and now it's almost like UNC is just telling you know I mean just pulling out the red carpet and saying all right Olay we will switch um am I completely off base or am I doing a 180 and misremembering that or what no I think you're remembering it right um I I mean historically I don't remember him having players switch on screens a whole lot I mean it's possible that he's done it through games here or there but you know more often than not he's had big men, you know, step out and, you know, kind of like hedge yeah, and then get back and, 
you know, somebody either goes over or under the screens. Um, and I've been trying to figure out the thought process behind the switching too, but also I feel like it hasn't been unaffected. But the problem is I feel like there's just been some unfortunately bad matchups that have happened with, you know, that switching action taking place, and that's just going to happen. You know, if, for example, like next week against Duke, if, you know, somebody like Zion Williamson ends up on, yeah, B-Rob again, or ends up getting Kobe, I mean, it's, now granted, Kobe can defend Zion to a point, but if he tries to post up on him, we all know how that's going to go. Um, an offensive foul, right? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting because, and I think they've been trying a couple things this year. I know I can't remember what game it was after. Um, some of the assistant coaches were trying to talk Roy into doing, you know, handling the screens a different way, and within the first couple minutes, it went terribly. And then they switched back to what they were doing in the first half that wasn't working, and all of a sudden it started working. So I don't. All of that is to say I have no idea really what the thought process is with all of that. But my hope is that they don't get exposed as much. Hopefully down the road, or if you know, they run into those matchups again in the tournament, like, you know, with a Hunter or with a likes that they can kind of figure out a way to not make that so apparent and, you know, have all the bad things happen that have happened. So, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I, I think it's Roy, you know, developing the team so they can play a couple of different ways and be more comfortable making a switch in game if they have to, as, you know, we're in the midst of conference play, but it's not a win-or-go-home scenario yet. So, you know, I, I think this is all part of building that positive trajectory uh, for the team that we have seen in the 16 years that he's been at Chapel Hill. So I'm curious to see uh, when when they do that switch. And, well, switch is the wrong word because it's literally the opposite, what I'm looking for them to do based on what they put on tape. But – um Definitely going to be interesting. So before UNC plays that game against Duke, they do have a trip over to Winston-Salem to play Wake Forest on Saturday. Um, kind of the upshot of this game being on Monday night and this recording being on Monday night is we all have five days to recover from the loss, good to bad taste out of our mouths. And um, any chance of UNC having a look-ahead game against the Demon Deacons, who are 2-8 and eight in the ACC, 9-13 and 13 overall, and only 7-5 and five on their home court? Um, so here's the thing. They, UNC hasn't really lost that really, you know, they haven't had that kind of WTF game yet. Um, that's what they have to be careful of. They have a big game coming up against Duke. Wake has not been very good at all this year. And I think, you know, it's kind of what we had been saying about, you know, the game against Georgia Tech this year and the game against, um, you know, the games against Miami and, 
you know, I, I think this team for some reason, as opposed to previous teams, kind of understands that, you know, every game matters. And I'm not saying other teams didn't understand that, but what I'm saying is like, I don't feel like they've really played down to the competition much. I think when they lost to Louisville, they kind of just got punched in the mouth so hard that they just were kind of in shell shock. I don't think anybody really expected that to go down the way it did, but you yeah. know, of course, weeks later, now we're looking at Louisville being what a top 15 team or something like that. Um, so I don't really think they'll look past Wake, but we shall see. Yeah, and to me, I mean, the way the Texas game went down, the way the Michigan game went down after the first eight minutes, um, I feel like UNC's had its share of WTF moments here in this year to maybe where, maybe where, you know, we're the crazy ones and they got those out of the way early. Um, <laughs> but there's, there's plenty of opportunity with, uh, Florida State and Syracuse, uh, both at home still on the schedule and then trips to Clemson and Boston College. We, we've still got a chance at some WTFs. So, um, I hope not, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if anything else, what we've kind of noticed with the past few games is, you know, they know how to fight back. Um, I think in the Texas game, Kobe White knew how to fight back. Nobody else seemed to have that same energy behind them. Um, Michigan was pretty tragic too, but. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like at this point of the season, any game that kind of starts tilting that way will at least end different enough to where it's not drastic. And I, th I think the difference for this team, just putting it in very simple terms is with all the shooting they have on the court, they're a little bit more slump proof. You know what I mean? If the threes are absolutely not falling, I mean, you're not really beating anybody, but with Kobe White's scoring ability as the point guard and then, you know, Luke May as an effective pick and pop stretch four, then you have Cam Johnson, who's one of the best knockdown shooters I've seen, and Kenny Williams, who's a little streaky, and then Brooks, who had a very nice game tonight. You know, there, there's enough guys on this team to where they always have four options on the court, provided everybody's healthy. Um so I don't know. I'm, I'm not as fearful of the WTF moment going forward, but, um, we did talk about this on the podcast that got lost in the ether. Uh, we've played two games since. Where do you handicap Carolina's chances at an ACC regular season championship as of right now with seven games to go? A game behind Duke in the standings and have lost the tiebreaker to Virginia, who they are tied with. Well, the fun thing is, is that I think. Duke is getting into kind of the, you know, the thick of their schedule. Virginia has officially lost to Duke twice. I think they may have a couple tough games left as well. Um, you know, UNC has some tough games left. Uh, I'm looking, I would say Florida State's probably going to play them pretty tough. Syracuse is, Syracuse, Syracuse is doesn't scare me at all. They don't scare me, but they're sneaky. So they're, I, I just feel like you always kind of have to watch them. Um, actually, you know, looking at it, Carolina probably doesn't have it too bad. 
The problem is, is if they can't take at least one against Duke and just hope for tragedy to happen in Durham, then, you know, we may be looking at like second or third place. I still think it's going to also be tough to kind of count on staying away from that tiebreaker with Virginia now since you don't have that home and home. Um, so I don't know. I would say best case scenario is probably best case scenario is probably second. I'm expecting third place. That's fair. Um, record wise, I'm going to go 14 and four. I think we're going to split with Duke. I, I, I just still do not have the fear of that team that, um, most of the nation has been captivated by because ESPN's marketing machine is a monster. And Virginia, you know, this is a team that lost to UMBC last year. Um, they still got trips to Virginia Tech and Louisville. Virginia Tech owes them a beatdown in basketball, much the way Virginia owes Virginia Tech a beatdown in football. I just, you know, they, they've got Louisville twice. They've got a trip to Syracuse, which is going to be just a painful eyesore of a game. I don't see Virginia getting out unscathed. And like I said, I mean, it's going to come down to maybe getting one more team besides us to beat Duke, but I could see maybe a, you know, a 15 and three tie between Carolina and Duke as the best case scenario. And at this point, my worst case is probably five losses that still qualifies you for third place. Because if Virginia is going to take second place, they're going to have to, do some beatdowns on Louisville and I just don't trust Florida State that much. But it's gonna be interesting. Um we're gonna be talking to y'all again hopefully quite soon, but uh definitely before the Wake Forest game on Saturday. Uh Brandon, this is your second first time on the Tar Heel Blog podcast. So this time around, what do you have to plug uh going on this week on TarHeelBlog.com? Um, so I will have the three things learned that we usually do following the game is ready for tomorrow. Um, it'll probably touch on a lot of the things that we talked about during this podcast, but I'll try to dive deeper a bit into that and kind of explain how, you know, tonight's loss was rough, but it's not detrimental by any, by any means. You know, it's a loss, you know, we've only lost two in the conference. You know, I, I know I kind of hate the don't panic speech, but really like it's okay. <laughs> so, you know, I'll be diving into some of that. And then over the weekend, uh, after the wake game, I'm going to cover whoever the player of the game is. I feel like we, at this point, the pattern that it's been going at, I feel like we may know who it is already, but you know, we'll see if anybody can <laughs> come out and surprise. I mean, does he have sideshow Bob hair? He might have sideshow Bob hair, but it's okay. like the best well, sideshow um, Bob hair. <laughs> all right. Well, that is the bold take. That is the prediction. You heard it here first that, uh, Kobe White's going to go off on Wake Forest. I, I, I can put that for public record, right? Yeah. Yeah. I well, mean, it's already done, I guess, unless I edit this part out. But um that all sounds pretty good. I am uh, looking forward to figuring out what you learned from this game because at the end of the day, 
UNC still matched its best record through 11 games in the ACC under Roy Williams. Nine and two is uh, not bad. Nine and two is what the 05 team was, maybe better than what they were. Uh, same for the 09 team, same for the 17 team. So we're going to see what happens. Um, I don't know if I ever introduced myself. My name's Chad Floyd. Um, I'm Chad underscore Floyd on Twitter. I don't really have too much of value going on this week. I am building this podcast uh, with the help of the good folks at SB Nation. So if you can't find this one on Apple Podcasts, keep on watching wherever you subscribe to podcasts. It'll be on Spotify eventually. It will it will be all over the place. And it's going to be a matter of how quickly I can work on that. So, again, thank you all for listening. Uh, this is the Tar Heel Blog Podcast, the basketball show called Between the Banners, which we thought was the appropriate name because UNC is going to put up some more banners this year. We'll talk to you all next time.